All right, it's 9.30, I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Since y'all are so quiet anyways, you weren't, you're just ready, ready to go. It's because Ryan hyped this lesson up so much, y'all were just so excited to be here, right? You wanted to know about marriage and what specifically DeYoung has to say about marriage in his book. Uh, I don't know about that. Dennis said what I have to say about that. Well, uh, we'll see. Maybe. Maybe there'll be a couple of things I say. Um, so again, this is from DeYoung's book, Men and Women in the Church, a short biblical pra- uh, practical introduction. Notice that in that title, it doesn't say the word complementarianism explained or a short, a short explanation of complementarianism. That is what it is, but it's a, it's a little more subtle than that. Um, again, this is chapter 5. Um, this is called a, a Marriage Made in Heaven, if I'm not mistaken. I did a poor job of titling my own notes. Um, it is chapter 5, though. So before we start, let's, uh, let's go to our Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Everlasting God, we are grateful you have given us life again today. Uh, we bow before you now, knowing we are sinful, flawed men and women. We have taken your right design for our lives and rejected it for our own desires. We pray that today you would provide us clarity from your word, and that you would be that we would be firm in our convictions of what it says and what it doesn't say. And with that, Lord, I pray that you would keep me from error this morning. Um, Lord, your word is sufficient for everything that we need, uh, everything that we need to know about you, about ourselves, about your son. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would use your word um, in this time to sanctify each and every one of us. Uh, We love you and we praise you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So during this hour, uh, we're going to be exploring the topic of marriage. Surprise, surprise, if you were here last week, you already knew that was the case. Um, Our main passage uh, for this topic today, uh, which DeYoung uses pretty well exclusively, he sprinkles in a few other verses, um, but he uses Ephesians 5. So if you want to go ahead, you can turn to Ephesians. We're actually going to start in chapter 4, but... That's a good place for you to probably keep your Bible open for most of this discussion today. I'll refrain from forcing you to go back and forth to multiple passages. I'm just going to try to read them to you as clearly as I can without stumbling, which is often hard for me. Um, But Ephesians, especially starting in in, uh, chapter 4, is where we're going to begin here shortly. We'll also take uh, talk briefly about two other passages, Colossians three eighteen through fifteen, um, and then First Peter three one through seven. Those are parallel passages, uh, very similar wording to the, our passage here, um, which is why he kind of just uses Ephesians. It's it's just as clear as the other two, and and so that's the passage he chooses to use uh, for his discussion. Um, so Ephesians four. Starting in verse 19, um, 
So we're just going to kind of work through a little bit of context before we get to um, 22 through 23. I think it's important for us to see what's, what Paul's doing, what's happening in the chapters leading up to uh, this part. Um, so um, here we see Paul working through what our new life looks like in Christ. Uh, so verse 19, Ephesians 4:19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to the practice, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's, he's explaining the difference between the old life, the new life, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, um, what that's supposed to look like. And then in, in the beginning of chapter 5, um, he begins to, to show us what, uh, how we see our calling uh, to walk in love in this new life. Uh, so he says in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he closes out that, that section, verse 19 through 21, addressing one another in, in psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21 there is somewhat important to the argument. I don't know if we'll get there on um, the debate between the two positions on it, but um, just know that that verse specifically is kind of a contentious one. Seems very straightforward, right? Um, so then our passage for today, um, Ephesians five twenty-two through 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word." so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or in such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. <clears throat> so, I may sound like a therapist here, but how do we immediately feel whenever we hear these verses, this passage, how does that immediately make us feel? I think that introspection is important in this moment 
in time, in our cultural time, of saying, when I hear this passage, when I read through it, when I'm thinking through what does it actually say, what does it not say, what is my initial reaction to it? My initial reaction could be um, that when I hear this text, I immediately say, oh, this doesn't apply to us anymore, right? Or I could say, uh, maybe I do believe it applies to us, um, but it's not so easy to decipher um, as maybe the complementarians would think it is. Or maybe you hear this and you see it as a beautiful picture of how God created us as husband and wife, and your, rea- your reaction is to say, Lord, I fall short in obeying your commands in this area of my life. So I think it's important uh, to know where we stand before we kind of go forward on this, this uh, kind of drawing out this passage. Um, so any thoughts initially, just reading the past, being re familiarized with the passage? Okay, did, did y'all hear what Dennis said? That this could, he thinks this could be on somewhat of a spectrum, family to family, within certain guardrails, um, and that that could be even a working out through, through a marriage um, over time from the beginning to the end of that marriage. Did I summarize that close enough to? <laughs> okay. We're going to try today, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I say that because I think it's, I don't think we all come to this passage and immediately feel the same way about it. Um, we don't immediately read it and, and think the same things. Maybe we have other assumptions that are being made outside of this. Um, so I, I asked that question just to maybe a little introspection on each of our parts to go, okay, how does this initially sit with me? How does hearing God's word speak on these things make me feel, for lack of a better way of saying it? Um, because I think it's important that we at least know where we stand to begin with before we go through this argument um, and just immediately are, are caught off guard and saying, no, I don't, I don't believe that's true. We're going to just immediately, it's because where we started. Um, so I hope that we can all be, at least be open enough to hear the argument today. Um, sorry, that was kind of a rant and I got lost. Okay, so as we turn uh, to DeYoung for his position on this matter and others, um, I want to read a quote from the end of this chapter And I hope this will give us a good sense of what he's trying to communicate uh, throughout this chapter. So I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of showing DeYoung's cards here. I'm not allowing you to go through the whole chapter and then see the very last paragraph and what he says. Um, But it's if you didn't grab a handout, I hope there's still a few left. Um, There is a handout on the back. It has a few notes of bigger things that if there's not any, maybe we can grab some more. I don't know. Or if anybody has a couple. Um, sorry. Um, so that first, I think it's the for just the first big quote that's on there is the point. I didn't want you to get lost in just me saying it. I'm probably going to stumble over it. So I wanted you to have it, see what he says. Um, 
I believe this is, this is the summation of this chapter of what he's trying to get after. And I think it's important that we see it for our discussion today so you know where he stands. You know where he's going. Um, I think that's helpful. It's helpful for me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just the way my brain works. Um, so I'll read this quote from, from DeYoung. God is trying to show something in our marriages. If we disallow sexual differentiation, we are not allowing to shine allowing to shine forth the very heart of marriage itself. Yes, God created marriage for companionship and for sex and for children, but most of all, he created marriage to reveal this profound mystery of Christ and the church. This is a high calling. His plan is for a watching world to look at husband and wife and see such gentle, joyful submission and such self-denying, loving leadership that it gets a picture of the beauty that is the relationship between Christ and his church. Nothing less than God's full glory is at stake. So I would say that's Kevin's point. That's his main point for this chapter. That's what he's going to chase um, as he works through the passage in Ephesians. Um, initial thoughts on, on that. I think I even underlined what I think is pretty important there. But he could. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have the here. Here, I can, well, I could, but it would take me longer to. Okay, so with that in mind, um, in our times it can sound archaic to say things like God's design for the home is a thoughtful, intelligent, gentle, submissive wife and a loving godly self-sacrificing leading husband right that's not that can be very can come off very archaic and and countercultural to our day to day um but as ryan has already done the hard work of going through chapter one of this book which deals with genesis one through three i think it's vitally important that we keep the genesis account in our minds as we work through this chapter the struggle between complementarianism and egalitarians doesn't start in Ephesians 5 um, or Colossians or 1 Peter or 1 Timothy. It begins in the garden. So if you weren't here for chapter 1 a number of weeks ago, then I would urge you to go back and listen to that one or at least go through DeYoung's first chapter of this book. So... There's lots of new faces. I hope it's been reiterated that on our church website, we have the ability for you to go back and listen to recorded sermons and also recorded Sunday school lessons. So if you're interested in that, you have some time that, that you do some dri driving and you want to go back and listen to those, the audio recording, recordings are on the church website. They're up there. I promise I'll listen to them this week <laughs> for this Sunday school lesson. So um, they're up there. That's just an aside for uh, the new people if that hasn't been reiterated before to you. Um, egalitarians would argue that male headship is not ever explicitly spoken about even, or even implied until after the fall, which then leads to the conclusion that male headship only came about as part of the curse. Then you follow that up with Christ has made all things new or hit the reset button on how we should live, and now women are no longer under the headship of their husbands or their elders in the church, just as Eve was not under the headship of, headship of Adam before the fall. 
While chapter 1 of this book does point out that male headship is not explicitly spoken about until after the fall, that does not mean it's not there. It's all over the place in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Genesis leading up to the fall. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to repeat all of chapter 1 of this book. It, it wouldn't do us any good. Ryan did a perfectly good job of going through that. Um, but I will just say that for um, of our discussion today assumes that the distinct roles given to Adam and Eve before, were given to them before the fall um, and are what God still calls us to today and have always been the standard for, God's, for a God-glorifying marriage. Um, so why is all this talk about Genesis important for our discussion today? It's important um, how we see the created design for marriage and how it was affected by the curse. Uh, so this is a chapter, for, a quote from chapter one of this book. The marriage relationship, which was supposed to be marked by mutually beneficial headship and helping, becomes a fight over, over sinful rebellion and ruling. God's designed sexual difference for one another. Sin takes sexual difference and makes it opposed to one another. So um, if we look at uh, Genesis 3, verse 16, to the woman he said, I'm sh- I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So, for clarification, that word desire is also spoken about in chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 7. Um, this is talk- God talking to Cain. Sin is crouching at the do- door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It was like almost parallel language between the two, the two passages, the two verses. Um, so, that desire isn't something where... She desires the husband. It's that her desire is to control the husband. It's contrary to the husband, to his leading. And then it, it doesn't stop there. It talks about the husband as well. The rule, you shall rule over, or he shall rule over you, isn't a good thing there. It's a, you are going to do this wrong. You are going to do this with undue authority. You're going to do this in a way that is not beneficial to your wife. It's a picture of what is this going to look like now that, that, that you have sinned and fallen short. So this is just a picture of, of what is to come. Um, so, for the... I, I was thinking of a, some kind of a picture. Um, I didn't practice this either, so I hope this doesn't just come off super cheesy. Um, so this, this piece of paper here represents marriage. The marriage first and foremost was created to glorify the Lord. The Lord gave to each person in the marriage a distinct role. Then what happened to the marriage? It was marred, just like everything else, due to the disobedience of Adam and Eve. At the very end of verse 16, God is telling them, since you have sinned, here is what your marriage will look like now. Wives, you will no longer submit to the headship of your husbands, but instead you will try to control him. Husbands, you will no longer lovingly lead your wives, but instead harshly rule over them um, in a forceful way. Neither of these actions will glorify God in their marriage. What Paul is doing here in Ephesians is holding out a beautiful picture of how our marriage can again glorify the Lord. 
he does this right after he spent a significant amount of time talking about our new life in Christ. Paul is, in, in essence, showing us through Christ our marriage can, this is a quote from DeYoung, reverse the effects of the curse. So I've got two pieces of tape here. I don't have any way to do this. This was just as poorly planned. I apologize. Yeah. So everyone knows, I mean, you saw it, you saw it was torn. Everyone knows that this piece of paper has been torn in half, but they can now see God's glory again through the work of Christ in our lives, especially in our marriages. So whether that was helpful or not, I don't know. Um, so what, what exactly is Paul calling us to in our marriages as new creatures in Christ. So we're going to go at it just as DeYoung does and others have done the same, taking the same tactic. We're going to work through one and work through the other. So let's start with wives. Um, I think I put this on the sheet. It's, um, there's a sentence, sentence for each, and then there should be three kind of bullets below that. Um, again, this is just for... So you're not trying to remember everything I'm saying. I'm going to say a lot of things. Uh, wives, in submitting to their husbands, ought to support, respect, and follow them as to the Lord. So let's look at our text again for this specific um, command for wives. Uh, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. There's a few clarifications that he wants to make specifically uh, from this. So Ephesians 5.22, it's wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, Colossians 3.18 is wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Um, so DeYoung says about this phrase, as to the Lord or as, fitting, as is fitting to the Lord, the motivation for obedience to this command is Christ. Slaves are to obey their earthly masters as they would obey Christ, Ephesians 6, 5. Children are, are to obey their parents in the Lord, Ephesians 6, 1. And wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Submission is part of what it means to be a godly, a Christian wife filled with the Spirit. Uh, so there's two points DeYoung wants us to be careful of here. Um, one is thinking that submission to the husband should be done in the exact same way they obey Christ. Paul never calls wives servants of their husbands like he calls himself a servant or a slave of Christ in Romans 1.1. He also wants to clarify the statement at the end of verse 24. Now as, to the, church, now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Um, the in everything in verse 24 does not throw out the rest of Ephesians. Wives should not just steal 
because their husbands tell them to, right? We all, I think we all get that. Um, but it doesn't want to be uh, mistaken for, for someone that believes that, that this command is greater than all others to, to wives. It does not negate all of the rest of Ephesians. Um, so no wife is called to obey their husband to the point of disobeying God. Another thing he says is submission here is freely given, never forcibly taken. So DeYoung uses the, the three words to describe how wives can submit to their husbands in real life. Those three words are support, respect, and follow. So let's start with the first one, support. Uh, DeYoung says, God made you to be a helper for your husband, Genesis 2.18. Do what you can do to encourage him as a husband, father, and worker. Come alongside him, not to control him or to be recognized for your service, but to help him. Although, husbands, you should recognize it. They don't recognize it, but it's not for the recognition. So, so that's support. Any thoughts on that word specifically, support? I mean, I think that's, where, that's why he went to Genesis 2 for his God made you to be a helper for your husband help mate, support. I think that's what he's driving at. That's his main main port. Uh, so the second one, respect. DeYoung uh, expresses it this way. Husbands, or excuse me, give your husbands unconditional respect, which is not the same as unconditionally enduring mistreatment. Just as husbands ought to show you unconditional love, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's the end of our passage, Ephesians 5.33. The husband should love his wife regardless of how lovely she is because she is the church to him. And just as that is the case, he's saying the wife ought to respect her husband regardless of how worthy of respect he is because he is as Christ to her. A little different, maybe it's just subtly different, um, but there is an element of respect doesn't come with constant undermining and and things of that nature so we'll we'll get into some more of that if we don't have if nobody's uh rejecting this completely at this point um there are some other bulleted items on your list those don't come from um de young those actually come from wayne grudem so we'll go through those if you've already looked at those maybe that's why you have no questions yet you really wait until we get to one of those that you disagree with um so then the last one uh follow Respond to his initiative. Don't second-guess him all the time. You can certainly have an opinion and should not be afraid to voice it, but don't try to undermine his properly exercised authority, provided he's not sinning against you or leading you into sin. Follow him. So we'll all agree that this is made even more difficult when a husband doesn't lead properly or at all, right? Um, Things like following and respecting and supporting is very difficult when there is no male leadership in a home, right? I think we all can see that. So this is a call to wives specifically. Husbands are going to get a very similar call. Um, And one that I think, if it's not acted upon correctly, leads to some of this role reversal and things that we do, things that we see culturally that we, we would say maybe even as Dennis expressed is, ends up being on a spectrum. Maybe that's why it feels that way. Uh, maybe not. I hope I'm not 
mistaking you there. Um, so Grudem has written an article that speaks about what submission is not. It's a much longer article than that. I just pulled the specific section that I thought was helpful of what is submission not um, so that we're not confused. We don't take what uh, DeYoung is saying or what the passage is, what we think the passage is saying and say here he gives a pretty clear um, outline of what submission does not mean. Um, so those are your one through seven, the first one through seven on that list. Um, so we'll just go through these. Um, yeah, I'll give a little bit of clarification maybe on a couple of them, and then we can talk through um, thoughts on this list as well in conjunction with the other three words that DeYoung used to describe it. Um, so submission does not mean putting a husband in the place of Christ. Um, the whole context assumes that allegiance to Christ takes priority over all human allegiance. And I think DeYoung was saying a very similar thing when he was talking about clarifications he was making uh, to the position. So it does not mean putting a husband in the place of Christ. Christ is the first order, husband is second order. I don't know how you want to say it any other way than that. But um, that, being, that being the case, um, I, th I think that one is, is pretty clear. Um, submission does not mean giving up independent thought. Uh, so Peter speaks directly to wives um, in his parallel passage, not to put, uh, not to the husbands, so that they can tell their wives what to, what he says. Peter assumes that they will hear, ponder, understand, and respond to God's word themselves. So this may be just a clarification we're making now, um, being that we don't live in the same century in which these verses were written, and so culturally, we, yes, there was some difference. Um, but some of that cultural, the cultural norms of not allowing women to even to try to learn the scriptures and things, that is not what we're holding up here. We don't believe that that's the case. That's not the complementarian position at all. Um, it does not mean that, that a wife has to give up her own independent thought or study or um, any of those things. And I hope that that's not what is initially thought of by people who see the complementarian position and say, well, that, that has to be assumed, that, that that means that a wife cannot, cannot learn on her own. She just has to, to hear from the husband, and that's the only way she, can, uh, she can't have any of your own, own independent thought. Uh, so number three, submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence and guide her husband. So I think this is where this idea of supporting, if your husband is, is going after something, um, trying, to, trying to build a new career, it's a, it's a coming alongside, it's a supporting, um, it's, it's a influencing in the right ways, helping him see where he's falling short even. I know that my wife would say that she's probably pretty good at that, seeing my shortcomings and letting me know that that's the case. I don't think that's the. I think that's a great picture of of what we have in our, especially the two of us being complete polar opposites of one another, the way God designed it. He, he's He's allowing the marriage to work and show us our shortcomings, our our sin, our fallenness, and that's a great thing. And I hope that by saying, "Oh, I'm, I think I'm complementarian," that 
I'm giving that up somehow because that's not the case at all, which I think is, yeah, and I think that can be very, that, that can be difficult to decipher, right? Is this a, am I trying to get my own way and I'm really good at convincing him because he listens to me? You know, there can be some of that that, that definitely goes on. We're definitely mis, we can definitely misuse this, but that doesn't say that it's, it has to be, com you completely give up on any influence or God. He's, he specifically chases the, um, I didn't put the passage in here, but of, of a wife who has an unbelieving husband who is saying, yes, you were called to influence your husband for Christ and, 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 and proclaim the gospel to your husband. That's an influencing thing. We would say that we hope that we're not somehow shutting that down, that a, that a believing wife should, um, yeah. So, um, sorry, number four. Submission does not mean a wife should give in to every demand of her husband. Again, this was a was something that we kind of spoke on. I, I think this is subtly different than the first one as well. Um, the authority given to the husband is a delegated authority from the Lord, and the wife's submission is first to the Lord and second to her husband. Um, as DeYoung said, if the husband is calling the wife to sin, then she must not obey. So... Again, I think that we, we kind of touched on that one a bit, but um, maybe subtle difference to the other. Um, submission is not based on lesser intelligence or competence. I hope that, I hope that we all see this as being the case. This is, um, I think if we go off, off and say that this is, not, uh, this is not true, that somehow women are... Um, less intelligent or less competent, then I think we're going down the wrong path. Um, I, I know that Roxanne uh, leads her discussion with women. I am, I am very encouraged that we have women who are incredibly intelligent and do so much to help influence other women in this church and, and help grow in their knowledge of the word, because I think that's what she does so well. Um, and so I hope that that is not what we see when we see a picture of complementarian view and say, well, that means that wives must be inherently um, less intelligent or competent. That is not the case, uh, not even a little bit. Um, number six, submission does not be mean being fearful or timid. Um, and then finally, Submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. I believe that is the First Peter passage again, um, talking about being co-heirs co with Christ, um, both being heirs of the promise. Um, so it's definitely not the case. So uh, thoughts on these? Any other thoughts specific to these points, Ryan? And I think that's what the end of um, Genesis 3.16 is. I mean, that's what is going to, it's portraying what is going to happen. And then we see that through all of the Old Testament. I mean, we see lots of exactly what you just said. Yes. And so it's not, this isn't, this isn't something where we look at and go, well, that's a position. No, that's, that's sin at its finest. That's, that's how the, the fallenness of man has ruined the, the marriage relationship. Uh, I think that's, yeah. That's very helpful to remember. Okay, so that's wives. 
probably the fullest picture I'm going to be able to do of what that means. Husbands, I hope I've got enough time because there's a lot here, guys. <laughs> okay, so uh, that, that first sentence, husbands, in loving your wives, lead, sacrifice, and care for them as Christ does the church. Uh, your number one command as a husband is to love your wife like Jesus. The focus of Paul here is on the husband, um, on what the husband gives, not on what he receives. This is not self-interested love that only loves if the wife submits. We've all heard that marriage is, is not 50-50, it's 100 and 100. And we're all each called to give 100% of ourselves to the marriage, no matter how much the other spouse gives. Um, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Matthew 5, 46. Uh, so DeYoung says, Christ, the Christian approach to marriage is not so much his needs or her needs as his opportunity to honor Christ and her opportunity to honor Christ, which I think is helpful. Um, so if you, if you couldn't already tell, the three words he uses to describe the husband's love in real life is lead, sacrifice, and care. So lead. Um, John Piper says it this way. Husbands should be the ones who most often say let's. Honey, let's go on a walk. Let's pray together. Let's get the kids ready for bed. The point about let's is the man's posture, his eagerness to make plans, take risks, and be fully engaged in the marital relationship. This is especially true when it comes to spiritual leading. Christian husbands should be aggressive and assertive, or excuse me, Christian husbands can be aggressive and assertive when it comes to making money, tackling problems at work, or pursuing their hobbies, but when it comes to loving leadership in the home, too often they're doormats. They take zero responsibility for the spiritual well-being of their household. Again, we go to our main passage for today. Who is Paul saying is responsible for the spiritual leadership of the family? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And verse 26 is important. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. So men... Do we actually believe we have a responsibility for our wives' holiness? Do we believe our marriages should be instruments of edification, purification, and sanctification? I hope the answer is yes, resounding yes. But do we actually believe that? Do we believe that in practice? Do we believe that in the way that we live? That's probably less emphatic yes. Um, so the second word, sacrifice. Just as Jesus died for the church, we are called to sacrifice in many ways in our lives. This may mean that we have to sacrifice climbing the corporate ladder to be a decent husband. You may be called to give up on your dreams in order to take care of your wife. It may mean the little things, not hanging out with the boys, taking care of the kids, participating joyfully in things she likes to do, joyfully. 
running errands, cleaning the house, doing the dishes, we must be willing to sacrificially love our wives. Now, some of those on the end can seem kind of silly, maybe even petty, um, but I think it's, it's the little things that we do, right, that show where our heart is for our wives. Um, so that was sacrifice. Care. We must care for our spouse just like we care for our own bodies. Before I go on to that one, I was just thinking of something. So sacrifice. We, we all say, oh, well, I would give, I'd give my life up for my wife, right? Like all, Every man would say, I'd stand in front of a, a bullet for my wife. But then we won't do the little things, right? So that's on the that's popped in my head. Sorry. Absolutely. Which is why I think it's easy for us to say, yeah, I could stand in front of a bullet. Because <laughs> I might not be able to. But I haven't been put in that situation either, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point because in as Ryan was speaking on that, I I so quickly just go the opposite direction. Well, domineering isn't necessarily my disposition anyways, but being a lazy, um, non-committed uh, household leader is definitely more my position than domineering would be. Okay. Yeah, be, being a part of the home is what we're called to. And not, I, I feel like that's that's so much of where we get this idea of even that it's the role reversal things is because we have a lack of leadership in the home. That's completely aside, though. Uh, but I think that's that's more the problem than domineering leadership in the home. So care. Uh, we must care for our spouse like we care for our own bodies. This is, I don't know who said this. It was in the book. I think he attributes it to someone else. It's not actually De Young's words, but he says... You should just as easily treat your wife harshly as you should punch yourself in the face. That's pretty good. The man who does not love his wife, Calvin says, is a monster. Uh, Take care of her needs for food, clothing, and security. D.L. Moody uh, once remarked, If I wanted to find out whether a man was a Christian, I wouldn't ask his minister. I would go and ask his wife. If a man doesn't treat his wife right, I don't want to hear him talk about Christianity. Would you feel comfortable putting your wife down as a reference on your Christian resume? Throw out all the ways our culture confuses love with feelings of euphoria. Um, Could your wife look you in the eyes and say with all sincerity and tenderness, Honey, you love me well like Christ does the church. So have I hurt any feelings yet? (laughs) Uh, I know my pride took a major beating working through this lesson uh, this week. So Grudem, in in his article that was cited above for the other um, list, also gives uh, helpful insight on what male leadership is not. So he is actually working through 1 Peter 3, which is a little different than our Ephesians passage. Um, So we can look at um, just a few of those verses uh, so we understand where he's coming from with his list. It's a little different than than, uh, the Young's. Uh, So 1 Peter 3, 1, Likewise, uh, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word 
by the con conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I'm going to jump to verse 7. Likewise, husbands, love your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessels, since they are heirs with you of all the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So the statement, love your wives in an understanding way, or as the, the NIV says, uh, be considerate as you live with your wives, leads Grudem to speak about it in terms of considerate leadership. Um, so he says, these are the things that considerate leadership is not. Um, he doesn't really give a list of what they are because he's saying it's the opposite of what they're not. So pretty, try to be as clear as he can. Um, considerate leadership does not mean harsh or domineering use of authority. I think we've already kind of touched on this. Um, when speaking of wives as the weaker vessel, there is a sense of the husband not using their authority to take advantage of their wives for, for selfish ends, but instead calling to tenderly care for her. Um, considerate leadership is not, uh, does not imply equal sharing of leadership in the family. So I think this may be a, a point of maybe some disagreement. Um, especially if we're kind of thinking about this on a, on a, on a spectrum. Um, do we believe that the Lord is calling the husband to the role of leader, headship, or do we think it's a shared leadership, headship of the home? Um, Grudem, the other complementarians would say um, that it's not an equal sharing of leadership in the family. Although Peter tells husbands to act in a thoughtful and understanding way towards their wives, he never tells husbands to submit to their wives or suggests that, th that roles in marriage are interchangeable. <clears throat> so number three, considerate leadership does not imply lesser importance for a wife. Lesser authority in marriage does not equate, equate to less important. I hope that that's clear. Number four, considerate leadership does not mean always giving in to the wife's wishes. There will be times in every marriage when a godly husband simply will have to make decisions that affect the whole family, that go against the wife's desires or, and preferences that he nonetheless is convinced before God are right. Um, in De Young's book, he, he talks specifically about the fact that he moved his family three times uh, for three different, I assume, pastoral positions or something. Um, and each time, his wife did not want to leave that place, that they were there, they, they were there, they created a home, they created, you know, relationships with friends and, and other people in the, in the body that they were a part of. And then he says, hey, we're going to move to this place across the country. And we're going to move to this place across the country. And so he says, this his wife could have easily said, nope, I'm staying here. I'm not moving. This is my place. I don't want to go. So there is a, there's always this, this battle of it's definitely two people, two different desires. A lot of times can be contrary to one another. So he's, the call here is that assuming your husband is not leading you to sin and he's not sending in the decisions he's making, that there is a call to follow and that leadership is a, you need to take, you need to make a decision which is hard for us. It's hard for me. 
that is not my that is not my natural frame, my natural tendency. I will definitely. What do you think about this? Way too often, and not to say that her um, her opinion is not important because it is. Um, so the last one: consider leadership is not optional for husbands. I think that goes without much explanation, but this is it's not an option. It is what he's calling every husband to, um, and I think it's important that we see it that way. Um, so we've got about four minutes. I have a little bit more stuff that is kind of a, an aside, but I think it's worth stopping there and working through questions, comments, concerns, Bobby, because from a... a I'm, and I may get this wrong, but from a complementarian perspective versus egalitarian perspective, it's gift-based um, leadership versus um, God-given role-based leadership. That's kind of the, that may be too simple of an explanation, but I did a, a lot of research of just trying to understand the egalitarian position a lot more than I understood it before this week just to understand the differences because it's a lot of talking at each other um, and not much like what, what does each position say on a specific matter. If you're interested, after all the <laughs> research I did, um, which we don't have time to go into, there's the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, the CBMW. Um, that's the complementarian position. They have the Danvers Statement. There's another council called the Council for Biblical Equality which would be the other side. So if you want to spend a little time looking at the two statements, they have each have very clear statements of what they believe, and it's, it's helpful for me. I wish that I'd found this earlier in the week and not the very end of the week, but uh, to have these two statements kind of look at each other um, side by side and see, okay, where do I feel like I actually fall in this debate? Uh, I think it's important for us to think through. I think it's important for our marriages and how we understand them and, and how we exercise our roles, what I believe are our roles um, in the marriage. And so any other final thoughts, burning questions? I probably won't be able to answer them. Yeah. And that's why I think that the I tried to portray with my silly picture thing, but that the marriage is for God's glory. And if that's, what he's, if that's what he's calling us to in our marriage, then it's everything must be under the umbrella of how does this glorify the Lord, not does this serve me, does this serve my wife. Does this, it's, it's about glorifying the Lord, and we've got to understand how do we do that properly. I think we do. <laughs> and is that how Christ um, treated the church? No. If we want to... If we want to fall in line with something, I think that's a pretty good place to fall. All right. Thank you, guys.